Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. What's it like as a polyamorous parent during COVID? Have you ever had another set of parents with kids about your kid's age and shared parenting responsibilities? Have you had them look after your kids while you were out for a bit? Or maybe you're living with another family. Your family is living with another set of parents and they have children about the same age-ish as your kid and you look after each other's kids sometimes. Robin doesn't need to imagine any of that as that's literally the life that she lives. So join us for a conversation on polyamory, parenting, and a funny metamorph story. This, okay this Shiraz hasn't even started to hit me yet, which is great because um, if I'm eating like an especially fatty steak, then like I find the fat will soak up the alcohol, which is great. So I still get to enjoy a glass of wine with dinner, um, but it doesn't like make me too tipsy. At least it doesn't make me too tipsy to be recording a podcast. I shouldn't have had such a fatty dinner then. <laughs> I got to drink more wine to catch up. <laughs> I'm drinking a red. It's true. It's true. Um, so speaking of drinking wine with dinner, parenting and polyamory. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my goodness. Tell me um, about the woes of being a mom in polyamory. <laughs> Normally, I'm like, oh, it's great. Um, during COVID is particularly difficult. So there's definitely a difference between current times with COVID as a non-monogamous parent mm -hmm. because um, we are mostly distanced. When I say we, I mean my co-parent, my live-in co-parent mm -hmm. and I are mostly distanced from other partners. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the extra resources that we're used to having. Right. That's like 100% the thing I love most about uh, non-monogamous parenting is having other resources having we have another co-parent that we don't live with i've you know my wife taylor she lives uh, maybe five minutes away so it's really close um she's actually quarantined right now because she, she had to travel uh via airplane so that's rough uh, but we co-parent oh, she has a daughter and brandon and i had our two boys and the three of us co-parent together um so, you know, it's been, it's tough not being with her right now and the kids are missing their sister. 
Um, why did I so think? Bad. Why did I think you had three children? Do you have three children? I birthed two children, and I co-parent with my wife Taylor, who has a daughter. Right. Yes, I have met this daughter. Sisters and brothers, and they, you know, they. Bug calls me Mama Robin, and my boys call Taylor Mama Taylor, and. Duh. So we have we have so, definitely have like a, a polyamorous uh, mixed family. It's it's really great. That is just so fucking endearing, and it makes my heart swell. And I'm so happy to hear that you and Mama Taylor get to have this mixed poly family. Oh, it's been great for us on so many levels. Emotional support uh support when it comes to picking up kids from school dropping them off places um it's always kind of fun filling out school forms on who's allowed to pick up the kids and there's always you know the name relationship (laughs) like what do we put and i feel strange putting you know Mm -hmm. husband and wife what, what are they to the kids? I, I just always put in little quotations, Mama Taylor, and they, they kind of just shrug and haven't questioned it. Um, but I've, I also to live in a geographical area where that's uh, not as controversial as other areas. So, Right, um, like co-parents, divorced parents, um, LGBTQ yeah. parents. Yeah. When other parents a... ask, they, I usually just say, when I try to explain it, I had one parent go to... So it's almost like you know having step parents except everyone gets along <laughs> i was like that is exactly mm-hmm. what it's like we all have different partners the kids aren't confused by it it makes perfect sense to them <laughs> um they honestly even just explaining pride to them was difficult because they could they're like so wait who are you not allowed to love occurring according to these people like they didn't understand the concept of <laughs> and like who I could and couldn't love they just completely went over their heads they didn't get it that's good Um, that's a success oh yeah these next generations I think are going to be pretty open Um, I I used to go to I miss traveling Um, I often would go to Atlanta Georgia and there's one Atlanta oh I love Atlanta um, I went to a conference there, uh, APW, Atlanta Polyamory Weekend, and every oh, yeah. year they have a panel of teens, like age 12 to 17, that are kids with their parents being openly polyamorous. It was probably the coolest thing I've ever attended where it's all these adults, including myself, asking this panel of teenagers questions about being raised in a polyamorous environment. It was That's so, cool. so cool, Victor. I wish you could. It's really, really cool. And, you know, my kids are still young. They're five and six right now. So I had questions. You know, my concerns were, you know, what if other parents, it's not the other kids I'm worried about. It's other parents. What if they maybe totally. don't want... You know, them to come over for a sleepover because they think we're sexual deviants. Which, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, we are kind of sexually deviant, but, like, not in a... In a not, not in a threatening way to your children in the slightest. Like, we're pretty good. 
If anything, I would right, say we're probably right. more knowledgeable on consent and respecting sure. minor children. But yeah, oh, yeah and totally. It, a couple of them had said, yeah, we had, you know, other parents that wouldn't let friends come over to our house or have a sleepover at our house. I thought, oh, that's so awful. But most of them kind of shrugged and were like, you know what? I didn't blame my parents. I blamed the other parent for being so ignorant and, and not knowledgeable. Basically. That is and really like, sweet. Oh. It was. It was a really, really cool panel. It was one of my favorite things ever. Uh, so it should be interesting to hear what my kids say in the future. Uh, right now they're still quite young and don't really grasp. Again, like I said, they don't even understand the difference between being straight and being queer. Um, right. I doubt they would because understand like... the difference between non-monogamy and monogamy. If you tried explaining it to them, they'd be like, wait, so you can only love one person? <laughs> well, and, and the funny thing, the funny thing is when you talk about these more expansive identities that allow more different things, they are less restricted. So by definition, like a non-monogamous person can practice monogamy. Like I identify in my bones as someone non-monogamous. It's important in terms of like providing autonomy for my partner, not yeah. making my partner feel like they've missed opportunities. Um, you know, like that kind of thing. Like if something is going to make my partner happier and lead like a more fulfilled life, I personally feel like I'm not willing to stand in the way of that. I would feel terrible standing in the way of that. Having said yeah. that, if for other people, their values lie more in line with security and like, you know what I mean? Like I can understand tra more traditional individuals being like, yeah, I need the security or I want the security or I think cool. there's something special about you know, saving everything about your sexuality for one person. I'm like, cool. I don't agree, but like, obviously they're welcome to believe what they want to believe. So like by definition, like we have the choice to have straight sex if we really want to, it doesn't make us yeah. not queer. We can have straight sex. So trying to explain to kids that understand queerness as being totally okay, or like, why would you need to expressly tell the world you're not willing to sleep with certain groups of people when you could right. just be like, oh, I just prefer these people same with non-monogamy yeah yeah with that um teen panel i saw it was interesting because someone did ask um the question to the kids like so do you think you would be non-monogamous or do you think you'd be monogamous and i'm pretty sure all of them kind of shrugged their shoulders and were like mm. but i think a good two-thirds of them were like i don't know i'm probably monogamous but like I don't really care like what happens. I don't know right. what's going to happen. So I loved that even though they expressed mostly that they'd probably be monogamous, that at the very least that they were completely tolerant and understanding of alternative relationship dynamics. Right. And there's always so a situation where you can be youngest is we kind of, we all joke that he's like the quote unquote normal one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm waiting for the day. I'm I will celebrate and I will have a very nice whiskey on the day that my youngest says, "Why do you guys have to be so weird? Why can't we just have like a normal family?" And cannot wait because I know he'll say it. It's I don't know how long, but he's gonna say he's like the normal one. Um, but at the same, <laughs> he's gonna have a so he's gonna have a straight coming out. Oh, he will. He's going to come out to us as straight. He's going to come out to us as monogamous or whatever. And we're going to love him anyways. It's totally fine. 
<laughs> Are you, you sure? Know? I'm not sure that's natural. <laughs> but but the thing is, is he'll be knowledgeable on the fact that yeah, we're right. a little quacky, but like we're a f- healthy family, and that uh, hopefully I because I mean I don't again I don't want to make assumptions, but like we kind of joke he's going to be the normal one, and uh, that's adorable. Normal. But he'll have knowledge of these things going into the future, right? Like, hypothetically, mm-hmm. yeah, he grows up to be vanilla, monogamous, uh, liking normal things. I don't know, sports? Like, what do normal people like? But um, he'll still have some knowledge and understanding, like some of my muggle friends do. Um, I have muggle friends that work with uh, public health and community and they're really aware of maybe kink things or non-monogamous things and they've told me that that knowledge has come in handy with dealing with the general public and being more accessible so at the right. very least whether or not our kids we don't care whether or not they're monogamous or not. i don't care as long as they're happy right. and healthy right. right like you do your own thing as right. long as that they're making the decision for themselves no one else is making that decision for them and they're healthy and happy mm. But at the very least, they're going to see things that are different and will therefore, I would hope, be more tolerant of other people that are different from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was my rant. um... I I think of, you know, folks that grew up reading Harry Potter like myself. Studies have shown (laughs) that people in our generation that grew up reading Harry Potter were more likely to be tolerant of alternative lifestyles or religions or sexualities or anything like that. Um, even hard, though, hard to say though, because some I Christian like parents banned that book. Just say it, JK Rowling is very problematic, but that I don't think that negates the lessons yeah. of parents that people that have read those books have enjoyed. I agree. I can I can enjoy that transphobic author's work. <laughs> yes. Um, so am I to understand your youngest is one of those people that's going to grow up to win games of I never? You mean oh, never have I ever? Oh, yes. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. It's called you know, never have I ever. I still yes. don't know whether I win or lose when I because I'm, I always drink all the time when I play that game. So is that what right. is that winning? Or like... <laughs> you have to drink every time. I don't know. Can you tell me is that winning or losing? <laughs> so I feel like only the sluts among us would be like, I never know whether I win or lose at Never Have I Ever. <laughs> right? I'm like, is this is, is this bad that I've done those things, or should I be proud? Because I'm kind of proud and I'm getting hammered. I think, honestly, the point of that game is for people who want to get hammered and do naughty things, introduce themselves and identify themselves to each other while all the really prudish people are like, yay, I win. And we're like, yes, you did win. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you enjoyed your two sips. Um, yeah, really you, you won. Very sex positive and kinky people because you can do. I like doing something really specific and outrageous, and and watch someone drink because there's also be someone drinks when you name something like incredibly specific and outrageous, just to see I, if someone has. It. 
That's so much fun. So the thing is, never have I ever is all about picking things you haven't done. So I prefer the I have done at least twice. Oh. Because it it like weeds out people who have tried something once and you're like, I have done at least twice like fisting someone and then a few oh. people like shyly. Yeah, oh, and then my... the goal is to be the first one to get to 10 drinks is what I would normally play. We're 10 sips. Right. I have not <laughs> played that version. That sounds really interesting. And I feel it's... like I would need to have my wits more about me to play that game and understand it better. It's honestly, it's so much fun. It's like the reverse of never have I ever. You're like, twice have I done blank. Um, like mm. twice or more have I done blank or like at least twice have I done blank. And then people start talking about the weirdest shit they've done because they're trying to get points and you get to learn some neat things about people. Oh, that does sound like fun. We need to have like a Zoom event and play that. That sounds like fun. <laughs> I have only ever done twice. I've only right. ever done the Something. never have I ever. And yeah, I have a hard time coming up with things I haven't done and I also get hammered. So, I mean, like I consider that a win mostly, but <laughs> it becomes more it's challenging just... to kick your people I play with because then we can get really creative as opposed to, I love my muggle friends. I do. I actually just did a, I did a sexy bingo on my YouTube channel and my muggle friends that I have a couple muggle friends that I still see from high school and uh, they love me <laughs> and I love them. And they were like, you know, I, we wanted to play your sexy bingo, but we didn't get anything off your, off your bingo sheet. Can we have like a really, really, really <laughs> tame sex bingo? And I was like, you know what? I, I know you're just joking. I'm not joking. Give me a list. And it was so hard to come up with 24 things to put on this sheet of like really tame things, but they did it and we had a great time and it was like, you know, sex on top of the blankets. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I'm like, what, why would, why would blankets matter? Like, what do you mean the light was on and that was risque? That was one of them too. Or like with a pet in the room or, you know, <laughs> The dog really... is watching. Oh, yeah, my cat. I mean, at first she's like, I want attention, and then things get intense, and she's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I feel like at this point, my cat is like, I've seen some shit. <laughs> I could just see the look on a cat's face thinking that. That's great. I'm like literally cat. You can go anytime. The cat's like, no, no, I'm I'm cool with this. <laughs> no, mine is she know like she's interested. Like, oh, people, I want to be pet. And then it's like when she re you can see when she realizes what's going on, <laughs> and like her ears go back and her eyes are really wide, and she's like, I do not want to be here for this right now. This is too much for me. And and she leaves. <laughs> the humans are petting each other. It's mostly when like a vibrator comes out or or something, and she's like, "Nope, this is too yeah, much." She's for like, me. "She's quite." It vanilla. sounds like a, it sounds like a miniature vacuum monster. I have no desire to be anywhere near that. Yeah. Uh, which is funny because speaking of of non monogamy, uh, and kind of you know parenting 
I sometimes, and you know, especially you'll meet people in the non-monogamous and queer community that consider their pets to be like another quote unquote partner, at least uh, another part of your life that requires your attention. Mm -hmm. Um, and even, uh, my old roommate and, uh, uh, Fox, you know, Fox. Yes. We used to live together and they have a dog and I have a cat. We lived on different levels of the house. And we would joke that my cat and Fox's dog, they were like metamors that didn't get along. Because, yeah. I mean, the dog really wanted to get to know the cat, but my cat does not like other animals, let alone dogs. And it's very jealous. And, and we like to joke that my cat and I have a, a monopoly relationship. <laughs> my cat is my cat is monogamous. She does not have any interest in anyone else. She's very selective about who she likes, but she's all over me. She definitely craves my attention, and I have to be like, I am not monogamous, cat. I have other people in my life, right? <laughs> and so when Fox and I would try to have, we'd have like our family dinners, and have the dog and the cat in the same room. The dog would be like, hey, I'm interested. You want to be my friend? And the cat would be like, get out of my face. And so that was a struggle. And we're like, this is just a part of our relationship dynamic. We have to try to make this work. You don't have to like each other, but you have to be able to be in the same room and be civil towards each other. And who hasn't mm -hmm. had that conversation when it comes to metamors, really? Right. Yes, 100%. <laughs> just be in the same room. Just be civil to each other. Can you at least pull that off so we can all be in the same room and have a nice dinner? <laughs> I've definitely had a metamor who was angry at me. And I think he was like um, OPP, which is to say one penis policy as opposed to okay. down with other people's peas. <laughs> right, right. Um, and he was, um, I don't want to say aggressive, but like, it was clear he had like a chip on his shoulder and he was like, not super happy with me. And there was also a little bit of, a little bit of jealousy. There were, cause I, I literally was like, cool, let's go on this really nice trip. Why don't we go out to say rifle bird sanctuary? It's a place I've been going to since I was a kid. And like, mm -hmm. literally like I brought all the seed and I introduced, um, my partner and this individual to like various different experiences. And there were points where like people were kind of struggling with something like they couldn't feed a chickadee or something. And I was like, Oh, um, here, like if you want, I have some like black sunflower seeds, like chickadees really like black sunflower seeds. But if you're just, if you're just offering that like duck millet, they're not going to land in your hand. And I like helped them. And then like within like a few minutes they had chickadees landing in their hand and they're like, Oh my God, this is so amazing. Thank you so much. And he was like, wow, you just, um, you're just like a tour guide over there. <laughs> It's just like the jealousy with this one is strong. Um, and wow. by the by the end of the trip, it was sort of clear to me. I was like, yay, we did it. <laughs> and oh and I think goodness. he was like, I think he was like ready to go home. And then when I talked with my partner afterwards, my partner was like, well, he did say Victor's a really hard person to dislike. <laughs> Oh, it's true. You're incredibly likable. Oh, thank you. <laughs> he was so upset when I knew things about birds. I'm like, I'm sorry I've been coming here since I was like eight. <laughs> oh, I didn't goodness. pick this place to make you feel uncomfortable. 
Oh, oh Metamorphs. Oh yeah. I I mean ideally good times, but you know <laughs> that's the case. And that is I feel like that's just can be translatable into so many different situations in our lives. And like we just have to be adults Sib- and figure it out. Sibling rivalry. Or, I mean, a lot of people, I, I think I remember, you know, as a kid not getting along with someone in my classroom. I was like grade one and it, I learned for the first time that someone didn't like me. And I'm like, what? How, how could somebody just not like me? And that they, you know, weren't particularly mean towards me. They were just like, oh, I don't really like you. And I'm like, I, I just tried everything I could to make this person like me, which didn't right. help. <laughs> you know, this person yep. just didn't like me. And my mom's like, sometimes there are just people that are not going to like you. You're going to meet people that you're not going to like. A lot of times you're going to end up working with somebody that you don't like. And Mm -hmm. that's just a part of navigating, you know, being a human being amongst other human beings. You have to make things work and you don't have to like each other. But, you know, try to be civil and polite to each other and make it work. And that's the best that you can do. That's a win. I don't have a policy where I, because I know people have asked me this question, like, do you feel like you have to like your metamors? I don't believe that at all. Um, yeah, I don't think really it's like a... Get along. Like, that's really ideal, yeah. and it makes everything so much easier, but it's certainly not a requirement by me. I don't 100%. have to like you. I'm not the one dating you. Like, Right. That's somebody else dating you. I don't have to like you. Like 100% that's true. Um, and it is, I was also the kid in school that was like, wait, this person doesn't like me. What am I doing wrong? What can I do differently? How do I make this person like me? That's a huge realization. Yeah. It's, 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 it's difficult and it's very impactful, I think, as a young human being to realize that there's somebody that just doesn't like you and there's nothing you can do to really change it. I don't I think, think I ever came big- to that realization. I think, like, as an adult, I'm almost there. <laughs> it's, it's, like the, it's almost like the harder you try, the less likely they're going to like you. And it's not right. necessarily a personal reason. Sometimes people just, I, I would see it as a matter of compatibility. I've certainly met people that I didn't like, and not over anything personal. It was just like, uh, personality type or compatibility you know uh, my co-parent has brought home someone before for dinner that just irritated the crap out of me and i like most people <laughs> it was just oh, it was like she'd had her first year of college and knew everything oh no you know what i mean like she was really young very eager and interesting to talk to but it was like oh sweetie you've just barely started yeah like, you had so much to learn i know your eyes are being wide open but shh and i just I thought, <laughs> she's very very sweet and it's like i it, you know i just i said how it's like sometimes you do everything you can and that person doesn't like you i felt like i was like i'm trying to do everything i can and i still don't like you it wasn't anything. <laughs> I tried to talk to her. I tried changing the subject, and I just I found her so irritating. And I was like, 
there's nothing I can do. I am just, I, you know, I don't hate you. I don't have anything really strong against you. I just find you irritating and I don't really like you. And there's nothing I can do about that. I'm really, I didn't say that. Brandon asked once she left, he was just like, so what did you think? And I was like, uh, I mean, I well, I'm not dating her, so it's okay. And he just laughed. He's like, yeah, she's a bit much, but you know. And I'm like, how old are you, Brandon? But I, you know, <laughs> she was quite young. I was just like, that's fine. I'm not the one dating her. Uh, maybe right. don't bring her over every day for dinner. Uh, but I'm like, whatever. You're dating her. I'm not the one that has to spend all of the time with her. And he was like, that's fair. I'm sorry. Just knowing knowing the two of you and the description of this third character, <laughs> it's just too <laughs> fucking funny. I know you can. I'm just trying my best not to laugh. It's okay. It's okay to laugh because it's an awkward situation. It's something you'd see in a sitcom. And it's not like, you know, there was anything (laughs) malicious towards us. And I tried to like her. I just found her really irritating and there was nothing I could do about it. And I just kind of accepted it. And I didn't, you know, kick her out of my house or shun her. It was just like, well, I'm not dating her. Sure. Yeah, and it's so, like your behavior was what mattered. Like no one can police whether you like someone or not, but they were literally just like you just have to be civil in the same room. Oh yeah, we had no problem at the dinner table. It was just, you know, I wouldn't want to do that every day, and I don't have to because I wasn't dating her. Legit. <laughs> so I'm like that's fine. We all have again, we all have family members or people we work with that we don't particularly like, but you can be a decent human being towards them you can be civil right right well there's there's that issue of like if really intense jealousy or insecurity or envy or exclusion or possessiveness or any of that kind of like aggressive or really negative kind of thinking um crops up um i also want to like um shout out um tristan tarmino's um opening up which is a book mostly focused on monogamish marriages um but the way that um she picks apart jealousy as envy possessiveness insecurity and exclusion is is honestly it was helpful for me and that was the one idea i took away from that book and was like this is useful (laughs) totally yeah yeah i've seen her speak actually in person and she was really good she's a good speaker yeah Um, i saw her um consent summit um keynote because i went to the consent summit in um, washington oh nice i saw her at uh kink fest as a keynote oh cool um anyways uh the things you mentioned you know insecurities Mm -hmm. trauma jealousy all of those things maybe fear Mm. of abandonment those are things that are so easily projected on your partners or metamors. hundred percent. But yeah, those are things that you can only fix from inside yourself, which sound, I know this sounds like wooey as fuck, but really like that stuff you need to work on with yourself. The more work you do on yourself, the better you'll do in your communication and relationships. And uh, like a thousand percent, I really believe in that. The more that you work on yourself, the easier communication and your relationships in your life will be. So, even though it might seem right. like okay, I need to work on 
this person. It's like, actually, a lot of this is something that you need to work on yourself first. Potentially in counseling. Yep. Oh, yes. It's hard because I know that's not accessible to everyone. But if if it is accessible to you, take advantage of it and encourage it, fight for it. Because I really think it should be something accessible to everyone. And don't settle. There are non-monogamy friendly counselors out there. I'm not a registered counselor or therapist, um, though I worked as a psych nurse and I currently work as a sex and relationship coach. If something is outside of my scope of practice, I will happily refer you. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I, my donation and sliding scale. So, cause I don't think that, um, lack of finances should right. prevent someone from getting the resources that they need. So yeah. I just wanted to throw myself out there in that sense that, um, yeah, yeah if you absolutely. Need non-monogamy, or if it, a lot of uh, clinical psychologists don't necessarily know how to help navigate a relationship that has a non-monogamous dynamic or a DS dynamic to it, they would, mm-hmm. you know, that's why a lot of people that do have those dynamics are afraid to seek out those resources because they think, oh, if we have like a a daddy and little dynamic in the household, they're going to deem us right. unfit parents. Right, right. So I'm like, I'm here. I'm I am not a clinically registered counselor, uh, but again, if I feel like something is outside of my scope of practice, I can refer you. And otherwise, I'm here just to listen and uh, to help work towards certain goals that you might have in those dynamics. Yeah. And if you do need like a registered <laughs> clinical counselor, sorry. I said shameless self promotion right there. Yes, you're allowed to shamelessly promote yourself. Um, If you do need a registered clinical counselor, my counselor is Nikki Bellhumer um, and is available in the Vancouver area who does sliding scale, um, was doing sliding scale with me that was much more slid than it currently is. As soon as I had a little more money from CERB, I upped what I'm paying her and it's likely if I get this job I'm applying for, um, it starts at, well, I won't, well, it starts, it starts just under 50K, so... I'm super excited for the potential that I might get this job that I feel both underqualified and overqualified for. So I'll just say like, mm. I'm probably, I'm going to be paying her full rate if, um, if I get this job, but, uh, but she does do really good sliding scale work. Um, the fact that she's like a registered clinical counselor and like, I don't want to advertise rates, but negotiate what's reasonable for you. Right. Um, there's yeah. also Dragonstone counseling who has, <laughs> interns and the interns there are technically free if you ask for it um you do have to be in some financial need but they don't make you prove it so by sliding scale you can ask for the interns to be free and they will give you potentially free counseling if they have the right intern for you yeah uh my therapist who i met at dragonstone now has her own practice called grounding stone uh that's so so cool I know, right? Dragonstone is definitely a very queer, you know, non-monogamous, kink-friendly mm-hmm. uh, place that I recommend to others, so I do recommend them. Megan at Grounding Stone, I believe, has a waiting list now, so, uh, but, I mean, she's really great. I mean, she has a wait list for a reason, so I believe, I think she has another couple in her practice, so that's another thing to consider, but she came from Dragonstone, who I also recommend. I'm pretty sure I have gone to Grounding Stone before because Megan is good friends with Nikki, I believe, because Nikki mm. used to be at Dragging Stone, which is where I met her. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. A lot of crossover for sure. <laughs> it's a small world. Absolutely. But we're here for each other, but yeah, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, no matter where you live in the world, um, granted, this doesn't universally apply. And I recognize there's some incredible privilege we have living in a very liberal city. Um, but oh. there are people who do phone consultations. Like, for example, um, my counselor, Nikki Bellhumer, she does phone consultations from Vancouver. So there's no reason you couldn't set up a phone consultation with her if you're willing to do counseling by phone. Mm-hmm. Um and same same goes for any counselor who does remote work. It's not ideal. Like, it is better in a lot of ways to do in-person counseling, especially if you're working with, like, a somatic therapist. Um, my oh. therapist does do some somatic therapy. Um, yeah, which can be very helpful for anxiety, especially, like, trying to get into your body okay. and just, like, practice a little more mindfulness. I know everyone hates the term mindfulness, um, especially in anxiety circles. Um, and it is one of those treatments that is, has been shown time and time again to help some people with anxiety, but not all people. For some people, it makes their anxiety worse. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So words of caution, but here we are. We were talking about parenting and now we talked a lot about, um, <laughs> counseling. Hey, it's important, especially in these times. So many people are really struggling. I know I am. And we're just trying to, you know, get through it. And Mm -hmm. the more we talk about it, the less of a, you know, stigmatization that comes with it. And the more comfortable people can feel talking about it. And the better we'll all be for it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking with me about parenting and non-monogamy, Robin. I really appreciate it. Anytime, anytime. So how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard? Or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon, where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.